Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. We're so glad you've taken the opportunity to avail yourselves of our audio sermons. If they are encouraging to you, or if you just want to make a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and leave us a comment. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. In fact, he did so much good that John tells us that he did so many things that if all of them were recorded, that somehow the world could not hold the volumes of the books that could be written about what Jesus did. Now that's pretty amazing stuff, right? He did a lot in three and a half years. But what made his deeds so good is not just that they were good things per se, like, you know, walking an old lady across the street or holding in the door for somebody or helping them carry in their crock pot on Sunday. But they were the will of God. Anyone can do good deeds, but only God's spirit can cause someone to do God's will. And that is what the Bible defines differently. Heathens can do good. You can do good things. But there's a difference in doing good things and doing God's will. Psalm 89, our call to worship today. David said, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen, and I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever, and build up thy throne to all generations. As the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thou faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord, and who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is strong unto thee, O Lord, or thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves thereof arise. Thou stilleth them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain, and thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine, and the earth is thine, and the world in the fullness thereof. Thou hast founded them. The north and the south, hast, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are thy habitation of thy throne, and mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound, that shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In the name, thy name shall they rejoice, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength. And in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. Then thou speakest a vision to the Holy One, and says, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil, have I anointed him. 
with whom my hand shall be established, mine arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. And by my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. And I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, thou art my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And I will make my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forever. And my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as the faithful witness in heaven. Amen. I don't know if you could hear all that, but God, the reason why we are faithful to God isn't us. It's because He is not violating His promise. He promised us that when He would save us, He would keep us. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for giving us another day to come before You as Your people to worship Your holy name. Lord, as we come, we come bringing the knowledge of our sins and the burden of them before You, knowing and believing by faith that You will forgive us. Lord, we come today hungering and thirsting after righteousness, hearing, longing to hear Your voice. And we pray that we hear Your voice today and that it feeds us and changes us and prepares us to do your will in the world as we leave. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said? Amen. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings remain standing for a moment as I read my text from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. My message today is words, works, and wolves. Andy said if I could put that out on the marquee out there, we'd have visitors this week. Because it's, you know, all three W's, right? Okay, words, works, and wolves, okay? Um, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, says this. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in there at... Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. 
Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Every, even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. Every tree that brings forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let us pray. Lord, we come to your word and we are not interested in cleverness. We're not interested with just something to keep us awake. But we want to know what it is that you're saying to us in this passage. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate these words, that they would speak to our hearts, that they would transform us by their very hearing, that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a kid, I went to a church that was a wonderful place. I had a lot of friends, and I had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of good times. We had camp outs and and uh, we had church camp, and we had lots of fun sleepovers, and, you know, all that party stuff that we did. And, and you know, and we prayed, and we loved the Lord. But there was something that went on in the church that seemed very normal to me at the time. But as I read God's word, I fear that what many did in a well-intentioned manner uh, did not please the Lord at all. And, and I want to, and I actually had this is not actually part of my sermon, so you won't see me reading notes here. Because this occurred to me just a few minutes ago to share with you, and I'm going to share it. This passage of Scripture where Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount is a passage that can be used in a way to bring terror and insecurity and improper, self-centered introspection into the lives of people and can scare the living daylights out of you. Did, you. did you guys hear the words that I just read? Everybody say, broad is the way that leads to destruction. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few be that find it. He talks about there are people that look like sheep but they're not. They really are inside ravening wolves. And all that's good and well because, you know, as a kid, I knew I wasn't a ravening wolf, Tim. I was pretty sure of that. But when they get down to the bottom of the passage, this is where they scare the living daylights out of every person that has a conscience, every person that is not 100% secure that you're as good enough to make it to heaven. And they say, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done good deeds in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done good deeds? And God will say to them, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. 
And by the end of the sermon, Luke, on that subject, every little kid would be crying and people would be coming to the altar. They'd be like, oh, is it me? Am I going to come? I can imagine myself coming before the Lord one day and expecting for heaven to be my reward and standing before God and say, Lord, Lord. And they, God looks at me and turns his back and say, I never knew you. I don't know if that scares you, but see, I was Arminian. And I believed every single day that everything I did was the, was the counterbalance and the weight. And I was either going to make it or not based on what, what was going on in my life at that minute when Jesus came back. And he was coming back any second. Don't let anybody tell you that that is what this is going on here in this verse. Jesus is not trying to scare these people who are trying to live for God and trying to do right and trying to follow the Lord that they're not going to be good enough when the day comes. He's not trying to get people to look at themselves and go, is that me? Am I really evil and horrible? And and will I come to the day of salvation and find out that I'm being burned up in the eternal fires of hell? Elizabeth, wouldn't that scare the daylights out of you? After serving God your whole life, Benjamin, it may come to be that at the very last, as you come before God, He's going to take you and throw you into the fire because you were not good enough. I'm telling you... I'm thankful none of you are scared. I'm telling you, that scared the living daylights out of me as a kid. Jesus wasn't trying to scare anybody with this. He wasn't trying to cause you to go to sit in your, your prayer closet and go, am I really going to go to heaven? Is, is that going to be me? Am I going to make it? Am I going to miss out? Don't let anybody do that to you. Amen? You know, God calls us, and you know what? None of us that go are going to go because we're good enough. None of us are going to get a go in heaven one day because, you know, uh, well, we taught all our scripture, you know, we memorized all the Bible and we learned our catechism and we lived right and, and, and we're none of us going to heaven for that. So in the same respect, we shouldn't be terrified that our inability to do it right is going to disqualify us for heaven. But at the same time, we need to understand that our abilities and our works and the things that we can do aren't going to get us there either. And Jesus is addressing more of this topic than he is addressing the one I just discussed. Now, we are not animals, okay? So please do not uh, uh, misconstrue what I'm getting ready to say. As some people would, you know, they think we're animals. And so they start talking about our instincts and they start talking about all this stuff. But I'm going to use some of these words, but I, I certainly don't think we're animals. But, but how many of you would agree that in our, whatever you want to call it, our instincts, our nature or whatever, that we ha- are prone to the herd mentality? Come on. I know you are. I've seen it. All right. And, and I'm, I don't mean, you know, because the whole world likes Lady Gaga. We'll all like Lady Gaga or something like that. Okay. I couldn't tell you one song the girl sings. Don't even care. Okay. But what I'm saying is, is that we are prone to be where everybody's going. We are prone to go. Sometimes, you know, it may be, it may be in a line somewhere or it could be traffic or it could just be, you know, in what we wear. You know, we don't want to look like freaks, you know, whatever we, okay, well, this won't look too weird. Right. This can work for our good if we are with the right herd, but to our detriment when we are not. But Jesus is actually discouraging the herd mentality for good or for bad here. Because he's trying to help us realize that yes, we are saved as a church and God saves his people as the body of Christ. But we will all stand before God alone. 
And this straight gate that's being talked about is an actual thing in Jerusalem. And the Broadway is something else. You know how, how, how cities have roads and they're called Broadway? Right? We got one in Grove City, Broadway, right? Downtown, what do we have? We have Broad Street. Okay? There were Broadways and Broad Streets in Jerusalem and there were straight gates. And this is not, this was very specific. Uh, there were um, uh, building codes. Uh, you might want to, you may not believe it, but they had building codes. And they had a thing called a straight gate, and a straight gate was about four feet wide. And it was just wide enough for a person to walk through a gate. You know how we have like our front doors are generally standard 36 inches, which is three feet. But they had these, uh, these straight gates that had doors on them, and they were about three feet wide. Three to four feet wide, about four feet wide. And the broadways were 16 feet. Okay? So... Jesus here is giving a specific analogy based on something they know. And so he's giving them a picture. There are places where crowds of people can walk through. And then there are places where you can just go one at a time. All right? Now, there are um, two herds. There are sheep and there are goats. Those who are part of God's elect and those who are not. In God's providence, we are taught again and again that the elect are not... A majority. They are generally what? A minority, right? The scripture teaches us or reminds us is that we are indeed in the world, but we are not of it. We are of Adam's race, and within Adam's race, we are a new race. A new creation has sprung forth from the second Adam. Okay? Now, for better or worse, in these things, we have retained somehow the herd mentality. And... Um, you know, if you've ever, if, if, if you're a nature channel kind of a guy and you see there's a herd of gazelle out there and, and um, a lion goes, what does the whole herd do? The whole herd just takes off running. Now, the, the, does the guy on the other side of the herd, does he have any idea what he's running from? He has no idea. He knows that the herd is running and he's running. Okay. So, hey, everybody's running. I think I'll run. Woo. And then they all take off running. Now, this saves lives among gazelle. All right. Uh, and, but, and even in life, you know, you're, you're going somewhere and all of a sudden everyone's running out of the building full speed. Ah, they're running out. You know, do you go, I think I'll just keep walking in here, you know, or do you just go, I don't really know what we're running from. But you don't know. This will save your life. Okay? But when it comes to serving God, Jesus is explaining that it can't be like that. That when we, what we do, we have got to, and my wife, she can't believe I just ran across the stage and she's worried I didn't fall down or something. But, but we have a tendency to go where the herd goes. This works out well if we're running from a lion or a fire, but not well if we are like uh, the swine that Jesus put the evil spirits in. They all just take off running and they run, you know, to their destruction. All of a struggle against one way or another. Uh, my wife has a very strong herd mentality, a herd, herd thing. Now, not, you know, not, not in, to immorality. But uh, something happened on our, on our uh, trip together that reminded me of it. It kept, it kept coming to my mind. My wife always has a tendency... You know, to look at what other people, where they're all walking, she, she wants to walk, you know. And, and, and we would be holding hands, you know, and, 
and she's pulling me, and I'm, I'm not going that way. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going this way, and, but, but, but I know what's in her mind is, but they're all going that way, and, you know. So at one point, we were on our way somewhere, and there was this big ferry, and it was backing up, and I was paying attention. I was looking inside the ferry, and I was seeing how the crew was preparing for us to enter on this side. You could get on either side, it looked like, but, there, there, but a whole group of people were there, and the whole group of people were all in this big pile over here, but I could see that where we were going to get on was over here. And so Andrea's like, she's kind of pulling me over here. And I'm kind of going, no, we're not doing that. We're going over here, you know, because because I'm I want to get on the ferry and I don't want to wait behind, you know, 200 people who are in the wrong place. I want to go over here. So so we're kind of pulling and pulling here. And what that was, was now it ended up being that I was right. OK. And so so I got to be in the front of the line because the, because I was watching the boat and I knew where to go. OK. But there's something about us that even though I'm her husband and even though I love her and even though I'm pulling her to say this is the right way, she's like, but that's where they are going. They're going there. We don't. That's where we should go. Right. You guys know what I'm saying? That's the herd mentality. OK. Um, in our text. Jesus is reminding us that the way of the cross is not going the way that most people go. It's going to feel wrong at times. It's certainly going to be countercultural. And in the way of the cross, there is only, there's only two ways. There is the straight gate and the narrow way. And there is the broad way. The fact that there's two different roads... For you probably doesn't surprise you, but we live in a world where one of the main heresies that people buy, and we meet them all the time, is they think there's more than two roads. Jesus spells this out for us and he helps us because we might have a tendency in our desire to be merciful or even in our foolishness, we may not understand exactly uh, what it means to only have two ways. How many people talk to Christians or people that you've ever seen, Buddhists or whatever? And I'm, I'm trying to see where I wrote this down because I did. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many be there, go. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. The spirit of the age that is being preached by the devil and his minions, they try to tell us that there are many ways to God. Have you guys ever encountered this? And not only is this in the world, but this is in the church too. And they're like, you know, you really shouldn't be too hard. Because really what what it all boils down to is God wants us to be kind to each other and to like each other and to live good lives. This is what people say. I was, you know, Facebook can be a total waste of time, but there are actually some good things on there. Ravi Zacharias, uh, he does a thing where he goes and whoever wants to ask him questions, he answers them. And, and this very, very well-intended is, Islamic kid, he's like, well, well, what does it matter? I mean, if, if, if I'm being good to my neighbor and I'm sweet and I'm loving and I'm kind and I'm not hurting people and I'm doing it, I'm doing it because Islam teaches it. And he's doing it because Christianity teaches it. Isn't it ultimately the same? Isn't it the same? And Ravi Zacharias is like, no, it's not the same, you know. And he go, and he if, if he's got a real unique accent, and uh, not at all. 
he goes, he goes, the message of the gospel, he goes, he goes, is about redemption. He rolls his arms. You guys over here, Ravi Akarias. He goes, it's about redemption. And after redemption comes righteousness. You know, is that not Ravi Zacharias? Am I, am I doing Spiro's Oliatis or something? Okay, whatever. He rolls his R's and he ta- he's explaining this thing that people don't understand. The whole world, it, they believe this. I, when I encountered this for the first time, it, it was very shocking to me. Uh, back in the 1980s, there were these people called boat people. Do you guys remember, the, anybody alive enough to remember the boat people from Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos? Do you guys remember those people? Well, the boat people uh, were trying to get away from oppression of these governments and difficulties, and they got on these boats, and they went out in the water, and, and they were rescued, and some of them were brought to the United States. And guess where some of them came to? They came to my high school. And so in my high school, it's a bunch of rednecks, and they, they hated them, and they called them, you know, chinks, and they called them gooks, and they said bad words about them. Well, I was like... That's horrible. I'm a Christian. I can't allow that. You know, so I made friends with these guys. And I remember their names to this day. There was He and Potak. There was Yung Kwong Chow. There was Setron, Montak, and Tian Duong. Okay? Those were my buddies. And then they had, there was a group of girls. And uh, their last name was Putavong. And one of them was named Pimasan Putavong. And one was named Mai, another one was named Tai, and the other one was named Champy. And you go, now, how do you remember that all these years? I don't even know. I hadn't thought about these people in years. But I remember that first we were trying to be nice to them because people wanted them out of the school, and they were nasty, and they hated them. And they hated them more when they got A's on the math tests, and everybody else didn't. They hated them more then. And they were, you know, losers. Because literally, we had this grading thing in our school, Andy, where it was a curve. And they, these guys would totally mess the curve up because they would just kill on these tests. And people would hate him. Like, man, I'm going to flunk out because he's blah, 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 you know, school. So we made friends with him. And it was all about being nice at first. But then it was, what was, why would I be nice to these people? Because I want to befriend them because I want to preach the gospel. And I remember they looked at me with the sweetest face. It was just crazy. This may have happened to you when you were in Japan, right? You're in Japan. And they said to me, they go, oh, they go, Mark, they go, uh, we, we understand. We say, Buddha is God of Asia. Allah is God of Middle East and God of America and Western world. It is Jesus. It's all the same. So when I say Buddha, what? It is all the same as Jesus. And I'm like, like I didn't even know what to say. In my mind, you know, now some, some wiser person that knew geography better go, well, Christianity actually was started in Asia uh, and the Middle East. And it only came here later. And so, you know, but, that, but I'm just telling you, it kind of knocked me off my socks. And there are Christians today, like, you know, I, I make, I, I'm pretty hard on Joe Osteen, but he got on Larry King Live and he's like, hey, you know what? You know, if your way to God is Islam or it's, it's Buddha or what, it's all the same. And people are like, you know, that is the spirit of the age that has worked its way into the church. There are only two ways. Christ is the only door to God. And there's an analogy even in that, that these narrow ways, these straight gates, all had doors on them, and you had to knock on them to get them to open. He that knocks, what? To him it's open. So there's a picture that's going on here in, the, in their language and in their minds that you might not see. Good works, although they're nice, okay, good words uh, is good too, but... But they can be done by anybody. 
only one man was good enough to go to heaven, and that's the reason why we all get to go to heaven. We cannot good ourselves into the kingdom. Proverbs 15.8 and Proverbs 28.9 say some pretty startling things. Because if you've been trying to good your way to God, you know, name me some good things. Is, is praying to God good? Isn't that good? Right? Doing good work. What if, what if I love people so much I was willing to give my body to be burned? What if I could speak with the tongues of men and angels? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't those be great? Proverbs 15, 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. You see what King Saul thought, Hey, I'm going to disobey God and I'm going to save these animals alive and offer sacrifice to God because God really loves sacrifice. But what did God say? That obedience was better than sacrifice. He said that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 28 says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, his prayer is an abomination. Do you think that would play well with people like, like, you know what? When God hears some people calling out to him, he hates it, he detests it, and he considers it an abomination. In, In all of these faith movies, it doesn't matter who these people are. They're letting, you know, anybody, anytime who wants to address God can just go ahead and do it. And God thinks it's fantastic. I mean, don't you ridicule them or their prayer. God says that the prayer of the wicked is an abomination to him. That the good deeds are detestable. What is that about? Anybody can do something good. Anybody can say something good. But Christianity is not about what we say and do per se. It's about what we are. You either are changed by God's Spirit or you're not. Now, when we come to this, like I reminded you before, this passage was not to cause us to go, am I going to make it? Am I going to be the one? Am am I going to survive this situation? Will I get to make it to heaven? But But the point is, in the text is Jesus was explaining to them that the way of the cross and that the way of salvation is a narrow way that, 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 is, that it literally is a one-person pathway that when you go, that you cannot be going because you're conforming even to Foundation Church. I was telling the, the elders and Andy, or Andy and the, the deacons up here that, that if your kids come to the, you know, the end of their time living at your home and their reason why they do X, Y, Z is because mom and dad said so or because the people at my church all did so, then you have never really, really addressed this uh, gospel that is being given to you as a straight gate. You're, you're in the Broadway. You are walking down the Broadway, whether it be with Foundation Church or whether it be the people of West Falls School District. There is a Broadway where people are just going and you're kind of going along with the crowd. One commentator put it like this to him. He said, dead fish go downstream. He said, do you want to be a dead fish? Do you, dead fish even go downstream. He said, but what Christ is calling us to is a countercultural Uh, understanding that what we're going to do is going to look different than most people. It might even look different than the person sitting beside you in the pew. 
We all want everyone in our church to do it just like we do because we're all sure we know what we're doing. Jesus is not encouraging us to look around and see what everybody else is doing and copy it. He's encouraging us to come to the door where he is and knock on it and enter in the straight gate. The road to the kingdom is going to be different for Luke Downey than it is for Tim Hatfield. There are going to be things that God requires of me that he doesn't require of you. There'll be, there, was, there was a time when God called Peter out of the boat and he got out. And Bonhoeffer put it this way. He said, it wasn't the calling of God for all people to walk on water. But the moment that Jesus said to Peter, get out of the boat, it was not an option. It was a command. And if he was going to be a follower of God, he was going to walk on water. You see, the call of God is very specific. It is a one-door, straight pathway where God says, Elizabeth, I know you were raised in this home, and I know you were homeschooled, and I know you brought, they brought you here, but why do you believe what you believe, and why do you do what you do? For me, I came to this point when I was a teenager, and I was like, you know, I don't know. I'm probably affected by my teachers, and so I want to go to a Bible school that teaches something completely different and find out if I'm for real or not. It, it, that was very helpful. I found out a lot of things about myself. I'm not encouraging us like the Amish to like have our kids you know, join a gang in New York City you know, and run around and live like heathens and see if they really want to serve God. That's not the point either. But the point is, Nevaeh, why do we do what we do? Do we do it because mom and dad say? Do we do it because, well, if I, did this, if, if, if I, if I made my hair purple then all the girls in the church would think I was crazy, okay? That's the herd mentality. God is calling each of us to develop convictions based on God's word and our desire to follow him in the narrow way. It's a very narrow way. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and it's this broad way for church members, and we'll all just go through the door the same way. It is a calling where God wants to speak to us and have a personal relationship. He didn't call every one of His people out of Ur into the wilderness to find a city whose builder and maker was God. He called Abraham. And when he said, come out, he didn't ask all of Abraham's relatives to leave Ur, but he asked Abraham. And Abraham could go, well, I'm going to start the church out in the wilderness for all of you who really want to be in God's will. You can come out here with me. He didn't do that. He just went. And sometimes following God means going out where other people won't go or aren't going to go. Well, everyone goes, well, why don't you stay with the group and, and let's all be a herd together and do the exact same thing. It's easy to do that. It's easy for us all to buy the same vacuum cleaner or all get the same water treatment system or all use the same midwife or whatever. Like, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. But there is something uh, that Christ is calling us to that is deeper than the broad way where all the, a herd of sheep could go or a sheep, sheep or a herd of goats to the narrow way. He deals with this in a way that's very interesting. He says, there are ravenous wolves, they're in sheep's clothing, and, uh, you know, but, but you are going to know this by, you'll know these people. Now, he didn't say you would know yourself in this. He said, you will know those people by their fruit. And he asked the question, he says, can a man gather figs from thistles, and can he gather grapes from thorns? And sometimes I think, that, that, you know, when, when, 
what we do, and, and I've preached this from the pulpit many times, and I talk about this because I think this is a very powerful analogy. That you are tempted to go get figs and bring them among your thistles. And once you've got figs hanging all on your thistles, you're like, I got it. There we go. And you're tempted to go among your thorns and bring a bunch of grapes and tie them on there because you can go down. You know where you go get grapes. So go get them and we'll put them on there. But what haven't you done? Are, are those thistles, are they, are they grapevines now? Can we have a how to be a grapevine conference or how to be a fig tree conference? You see, those are not things that we have power over. A tree doesn't decide what it is, even though evolution would tell you, you know, deep in the heart of the tree, one day it wanted this, and so it produced these kinds of flowers. That's so ridiculous. What does an apple tree do? It produces apple blossoms, and after it produces apple blossoms, it produces apples. Why? Because it's an apple tree. That's it. He is explaining here that people can appear, they can have those works, okay, but they can never produce the fruit. That doesn't mean they can't have it. Because they can have it. They can look like it. That's what their words and their works appear. That's why they appear to be sheep. Uh, but they're what? Inwardly they are wolves. They can appear to be figs. But inwardly they're thistles. They can appear to be grapevines. But inwardly they are what? They're thorns. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Jesus is addressing the danger of us working too hard to look like sheep. Now we are to flee the very appearance of evil. We are to come out from among the world and be separate. We are to be modest. We are to be a lot of things. But what happens is, is we want to teach our children that it is not so important that we work so hard to look like sheep. But that we pray to God that He makes us a sheep. Do you understand the difference in that? You know, it's not so bad when your kids sin and they do wrong. It helps us to know where we need to apply God's Word and where the sanctifying power of the Spirit needs to work. But when we train them all to act exactly alike and do the exact thing, sometimes it's hard to tell who's in and who's out. And we we knew this very, very much so growing up. Because they had a strict dress code and they, you know, if, if you wore any makeup or any jewelry or you didn't do this with your hair or if you didn't wear your clothes. Heath, one time they said that when, when a man's hair touches his ear, rebellion enters his heart. Being a kid and not understanding that they were being serious, I burst out with laughter. <laughs> I got in some serious trouble. And then I got later got a haircut by the pastor. Well, we actually went and got a haircut because we wanted to please our pastor and he didn't like it. And so my parents are like, well, I know how to solve this. Why don't you just cut the boy's hair and then we'll be done with it. And they were not being rebellious. They were serious. They're like, we're tired of hearing about it. You don't like our kid's haircut. Just cut their hair and then you can be quiet about it. That way we'll know you're happy. Aren't you glad you guys don't go to a church like that where the pastor has to approve your kid's hairdos? Well, at times that may happen, but, but not too often. Verse 16, you shall know them. Everybody say them. By their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. 
A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Everybody say them. This uh, example here is not necessarily a way to judge, you know, to sit and look at yourself and go, am I that or not? It's a way to look at them. And what he's telling us is what they can do is they can talk good. And what they can do is they can look good. And what they can do is they can do good works. But let me tell you what they cannot do. They cannot produce good fruit. It's impossible. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. And this is the key right here. Good works that please God are not good deeds. They are the things that we do that are God's will. Jesus could have done anything. Jesus could have lived his life healing people for 50 years. He could have gone and he could have, uh, he could have produced gold and all the poor would have not have been poor anymore, right? Could he not have done it? But what was the thing that God was calling him to do that was hard? And we think it was hard for him to do because it was going to hurt or he wasn't going to like it. I'm telling you, could you imagine having the power to do good like Jesus did? Could you imagine you could relieve all of the poor? You could relieve all of the sick. You could cast out all of the demons. You could prophesy. You could preach the best sermons, right? But Jesus knew that he was not going to be able to preach any more sermons heal any more people he wasn't going to be able to solve all of their financial needs he wasn't going to be able to multiply any more bread and he agonized and what was his final reply to god nevertheless not my will but thine be done you see the good works that jesus did that were the best works he did and the only thing that i'm trying to at least focus on here today is that doing god's will is great I remember there was, at some point we had the church downtown, Tim, and somebody came to me and they're like, man, you guys are really doing God's work, man. You're on the front lines, man. And I remember thinking that I had really had kind of thought that. But as I'm hearing them say it, I'm like, is this the only place God is at work on the front lines and in in the bottoms? Has God called everyone to leave the, their towns and go to the inner cities? Is that, is that what will be the most holy thing to do? Or to go to the heart of Africa or whatever? Are those things more spiritual? No, they're not. Following God where He calls you to go, that's the most spiritual thing a person can do. That's doing the will of God, not just the works that we can do that seem to be good. And some of us have gone on autopilot and joined the herd and quit asking God, what do you, what will you have the Ratliffs do? What, what are you calling us to do? You know what? I love to be in this environment. I love to be in these good things, but, but Lord, lead me to the straight gate, the narrow way that inner, where, where, when I go there, I'm following in your will. I don't pick, well, now that I have children and, and my wife and all, I don't pick up hitchhikers. But I used to. I used to do it a lot. But I didn't pick them all up. Drive down the road, and I would feel the Lord tugging my heart. I'd pull over, and I'd be like, Lord, that had better been you, because these people look like they're going to kill me. Like, this is terrifying. I, you know, and, and, and there were times, and you may laugh at me, and you may even think I'm kidding, where I thought maybe God was having me pick them up because they were going to kill me, and that was what he, he wanted me to share the gospel with them, and then they were going to kill me. And then after that, 
that would be their testimony that someone loved them enough to preach them the gospel and they killed them. I'm serious. And you may go, now, Mark, you didn't really do that. Yes, I did. I did it more than once. These guys got in my car. They got behind me. You, you, you don't let a person in your car and have them set behind you. That's just stupid. You want to die? Okay? That's what, a, that's what an idiot does. I did it. They got, I pulled over. I'm, I'm looking at these guys. I wouldn't, let the, I wouldn't let these guys walk across my yard. I'd shoot them. I'm going to put them in my car and they're going to sit behind me. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. The Lord was just tugging on my heart. You got to pick these men up. I'm like, oh my word. I'm like, this is it. I remember there were some, remember the gypsies? I'm going to their, you know, they tell me they got a ghost in their house that's terrorizing them. And, and they call me at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning. These people had come to our church and I go down there and I'm like, I'm like, they're going to kill me. They, I go in this house and it's in the dark and I'm going up and it's getting dark. They don't have any lights on. I'm thinking, why do these what, gypsies don't have electricity? You know? And so I'm going up there and they're like, we think that we think it's up there. And I remember going around the corner and I remember going, man, I've seen a lot of movies where people get hit really hard. I'm like, wonder what it feels like. Cause I think that's about what's to happen. And I'm going, I'm like, I'm like, I'm cringing, ready to be hit in the back of my head because I'm like, well, Lord, because I prayed in the car. I prayed, I'm, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to go and I'm going in your name in these people's house. And I'm going to preach them the gospel. I'm going to love them. And I'm not afraid of any demons or devils or ghosts. Bring them on. But these guys are probably going to hit me in the head. That's really what's going to happen. So, so, but I'm like, I need, you know, so what I'm telling you is, is following God. And the reason why these things happen is when someone says, you know what, regardless of my own comfort, regardless of the outcome, I'm going to follow the Lord. And that's what the straight gate is about in the narrow way. It is not the broad way. We're not doing what everybody else is doing, even if it's everybody in the church. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name, and cast out devils in thy name, done many wonderful works, I will profess to them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work. Everybody say work. Work iniquity. If you read what they did, they, they cast out devils, they prophesied. I mean, come on, did many wonderful what? Works? I mean, if you got a list like that, shouldn't God be impressed? Aren't you among the good people? And God is saying, yeah, God isn't fooled. He knows if you're His or not. It doesn't matter what you do. And you're not fooling God. You might be fooling us, but you're not fooling God. Ephesians 2, and, and I, will, I we don't have time to go into all of it. I've already been preaching too long. If you want to understand this for, more fully, I recommend you read Ephesians chapter 2, and then right after, read Galatians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says something that I have to read, or, or, the, or you, it, maybe this things won't make sense to you. Uh, Andy read it for us earlier. You have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, Right? Being dead in trespasses and sin is like being a thorn and going, oh, I want to produce a grape. I mean, do you think, of, what, what could a thorn do for a grape to, to, to appear? Nothing, right? You're a thorn. Thorns do not produce grapes. If you were a thistle, what kind of, oh, 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 could happen for a fig to come forth out of you? Nothing. Nothing you could possibly do. You who were dead, everybody say dead. You who are dead in your trespasses and sins, what can dead people do to be risen from the dead? Dead people can't go, oh Lord, save me. I'm dead. I would like to be alive. Dead people don't talk. They can't call out. They can have no passion for anything. They are dead. Everybody say they're dead. 
Paul said, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You who walked according to the course of this world, you were in the broad way. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we, we lived our lives in times past according to the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as others. We were dead in our sins and there was nothing we could do about it, but God changed that. God, verse 4, who is rich in His mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead, quicken us together in Christ. Parentheses, by grace you're saved. He's saying, if you were dead and you've been made alive, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. And so now, once that's happened, Luke, there's nothing to fret about. There's nothing to worry about. Am I producing enough fruit? Am I producing enough fruit on time? Am I doing like everybody else? Do I, should I follow along with the crowd? Should I do like everyone in my church? No, God is calling us to say, okay, you've quickened me. Now what do you want for me to do? He raised us up together and God made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come, He might show His exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ. He's saying, God save Luke. Because he was going to do something in Luke that was great. That when the ages came and people saw it, they would say, Wow! Look how great God is, not how great Luke was. He emphasizes in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. Everybody say, not of myself. It's not how many good works you do. It's not how hard you strain to produce a greater, to produce a fig. It can't be like that. You're dead. You can't produce nothing. It is a gift of God. In case we didn't get it in verse 8, he repeats it. Jay said, not of works. Everybody say, not of works. See, we're talking about works and we're talking about words. You can say the right thing. You can do the right thing. But it's not, doesn't make it, doesn't make you Right? Why? Lest any man should boast. No man can receive one single grain of glory for what they do. People may honor them for it, but you're not going to get God's glory. Man, for, for salvation, Jesus isn't sharing that. This, is the, this verse 10 brings it all together, and I'll, I'll try to stop here, and I'll encourage you to go on and read these other things. It says, we are His workmanship. You see, the one who did good works did one in you. And the work that He did is He made you a new creation. We are His workmanship. Now, His works matter. His works are all good, right? But what did He make us for? Now, this is, this is where it all comes together. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Everybody say good works. Pastor Mark, I thought you were, you've been blasting good works this whole sermon. I don't get it. For by grace are we saved through faith and that of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, and say man should but for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now we're back to the works again. But he defines the works in a particular manner. He says, huh, we've been, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The good works that we do are the ones that God ordained that we should do. It is when we walk in His will and we follow Him through the straight gate 
in the narrow way, in that countercultural way, when we resist the herd mentality of the world, and we resist the herd mentality of the church, and we stand at the door, and we knock, and we say, Oh God, what do you have for Mark Robinette? Where must I go to follow you? If it's out of the boat, or if it's in downtown Columbus, or if it's to a country club, God, where do you want me to go, and what do you want me to do? I could go, and I could feed the homeless, but God, that's not as good as whatever you want me to do that's something else. Lord, maybe you want me to cut my neighbor's grass and maybe nobody cares about that, but that's the good work I'm going to do because that's what you want me to do today. Doing the foreordained works of God, doing the will of God is truly a good work, not just a good deed that anyone can do. Only those who know Him can do it. We're His workmanship. We've been changed from thistles to fig trees, from thorn bushes to grapevines. And that doesn't mean there are not plenty of thorns and thistles still in our midst. But what it means is that our nature has been changed and it will produce fruit according to the will of God. You read chapter, Galatians chapter 5 and it explains the works of the flesh. And it lists them out. Bam, 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 bam. And I can adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit... Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The, what Jesus is teaching, what Paul is following up and is teaching in Galatians 5 and Ephesians chapter 2, that, that the, the fruit of the Spirit is different than a good work. And that the fruit of the Spirit is something that cannot be produced by the evil. And it can only be produced by the Spirit in you. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's what's being said here. I'm going to read the um, text again, and I'll close. Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few be there find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, those are the words they're saying in But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, those are the good deeds, the works that we can do, the will of God. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? They've done a good work. They've spoken good things. In my name, have have we not cast out devils? In thy name, they've done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Words, works, versus figs, grapes, and fruit. Let us pray. Lord, part of me wanted to spend a whole lot more time over weeks going through each of those verses, but they're a whole thought. I pray by your grace that as we have taken them in today, that we would understand them, that they would affect us, Lord, that we would then begin to, instead of just seeking for good things we can do, that we would search out your will. And that instead of having good deeds and good words, that we would see that the fruit of the Spirit is what 
we should long for in our lives. Lord, make us into fig trees. Make us into grapevines so that we can produce the fruit of the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.